Hey everyone, welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. I'm Nick Sowers here in the studio with my buddy Nate Hyatt, and we have my uh, grandpa Alvin Sowers Sr. here today, or Al, or GR Al, or GGR Al, if you're my my uh, my kids. And uh, also his uh, lady friend Fran is sitting in here with us listening, and uh, she's mortified that I just said her name. And so um, they're uh, they're joining us today, and um, I, 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 Grandpa has been for the longest time wanting to kind of like you know, record essentially kind of the, the family history and his life experience onto an MP3 player. And it just hasn't happened. So I, I coerced him and coaxed him and asked him many times. And we're finally here today um, to record some of that stuff. And I was telling him prior to us pushing the record button and to young men such as myself and Nate and other young men and women that may be listening to the podcast, it's interesting to see the the perspectives on life and, you know, how things were different and how we have relative comforts today. And just the, the experiences that people had to go through to get to where we are today. And I think it's important to, to recognize our elders and, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today without them. And so that's, that's why, <laughs> that's why we're here today. So, uh, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Um, so basically, I guess let's just start from the beginning and essentially just share whatever you're comfortable with when it comes to like where you grew up, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, et cetera. So. Pour me another cup of coffee, for it is the best in the land. Pour me another cup of coffee, because I'm a truck driving man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my name is Alvin Sowers Sr., Alvin Leo Sowers, and I was born in Atchison, Kansas in, 19, in 1936. And uh, there was a day that Howard Hughes flew his spruce goose. Back in 1947, as I recall, well, that's an honorable day. But in uh, uh, my dad was born in Etchison, Kansas, in 1911, in January, and uh, he married Mary Margaret Gold in Etchison, and our brother Kenneth was born in September, in 1932, and uh, then my brother Butch Lawrence was born in Atchison, Kansas in uh, 1935, and I was born in 1936, as I say. And six weeks after uh, I was born, or it was six weeks, my mother, biological mother, passed away from an illness. I think it was scarlet fever, something, and then pneumonia. And at that time, I was, my dad, uh, we, we was, well, my mother was the oldest in the family. So the family kind of took care of me while my dad worked. She had uh, a brother and then three sisters below. So they kind of took care of me. And then uh, my dad left me with his sister and her husband, Forrest, Forrest Byrne. And uh, we, I stayed there a whole year. They raised me as a baby. And Butch and Kenny went to stay with Grandma and Grandpa Sowers. My dad went to Grand Island, Nebraska from Atchison. And we ended up uh, staying in Grand Island. And, uh, well, my dad remarried in uh, 1937, a lady from Grand Island, Blanche Irene Hatcher. And uh, she was only 19 at the time. Then they drove to Atchison, Kansas, and 
took us boys all back to Grand Island, and we lived there until I was five years old. I went to kindergarten in Grand Island, Nebraska, and we moved to Hastings, Nebraska in 19, I think around uh, June <clears throat> 1942. My dad bought a house over there, went to work for a confectionery bakery. His name was John Joseph Sowers, and uh, senior. So from there, as we lived in Hastings, and I grew up from age five until I went to the Air Force in February fifteenth, nineteen fifty-five, and in uh, through that years in grade school, and we wore overhauls. We had an outhouse there at the house. And uh, used to everybody went out there. Then when we finally, Dad put in a sewer and put in a bathroom. And the uh, thing was kind of interesting that I'm scared of the dark back then because I was a little kid. During World War II, I was only seven, eight years old. But then uh, it was I had to go outside with my mother, stepmother, which they called Cupie. That was her nickname. And I had to go out and protect her when she went to the outhouse, the bathroom. As you're, as you're mortified yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm standing out there with the flashlight on guard as a little kid. And I thought, this is okay. So I went back, but I wouldn't go outside by myself at night. <laughs> well, so explain, what, what was the house like? I mean, how, how big was it? The house was a four-bedroom house. Uh, had big rooms. And... uh then in 1942, well, the, the house was the, the old style, no basement, just four rooms with cold running water. And uh, Dad built a kitchen on to the west side, so that made more room. And uh, we had two bedrooms. And then in 1942, well, in 1940, the first child of my dad's stepmother and my dad they uh, had a child uh, called Sandra and she died as an infant baby after about six months old then in 1942 they had a, uh, a daughter they named Sharon Sowers and uh, and then they later on in 1940 November 6th of 1946 they had another child, a son, named him John Jr. Sowers. And then uh, in 1949, in February, they had a daughter named Andrea Sowers. <clears throat> so that was the family. And then uh, as, we, as we grew up and went to school and had fun around the neighborhood, of course, playing outside, no computers, no TV, but always wanted to listen to the Grand Old Opry and Nashville shows on the radio. And it was hard to imagine as a child how all them singers could be up there singing. But they got in line in my mind and took their turns. <laughs> that's what we do at Pick and Fiddler's Group that I belong to. Yeah, and that's why we heard the singing in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, well, the singing started when we had the COVID in, in uh, 2020. And they closed Spangles. So I said, well, I'm going down to church and walk. So I'd go to Spangles and go through the drive-thru. And I started singing that song. 
So uh, it became kind of a, they still want me to sing it now and then. <laughs> and, and everybody knew it was you coming up there. Yeah, they do. Come well, on you, around. You you and Fran have celebrity status here yeah, at, we, at Spangles on th- on 30th Street. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then after, as, as I grew up in Hastings, Nebraska, going to school, we walked to school, even in snowstorms, which at the end of the day, it was a thing to do. And we, we did what we, we did. If we, we did what we had. My dad one time, he worked at the bakery eventually east of town, the Divas Bakery. And one time we had a big snowstorm. He was so dedicated to go from the east side of town, which is probably about five, six miles. He left the bakery, put on gunny sacks on his feet, and walked home in that snowstorm to be sure he got home to his family. I thought, now that's the dedication of a father. And uh, then as time went by, and I during World War II, yeah, I was about eight, seven, and eight, and eight years old, and the I'd hear them bombers fly over the house, and I always wonder what made that noise. So then I thought, well, as I was, someday I'll maybe get to see him, and eventually, as time went by, I ended up going to Silver Air Patrol, joining that. I learned to got my first airplane ride. I wanted to work on airplanes, and I did. I you got your. When did you get your first airplane ride? It was it been would have been about when I was sixteen, about nineteen fifty. What was the first aircraft you were in? I think it was a Stinson, probably or a Taylor Craft. Stinson was the one you restored with. Yes. Uh, with Dale uh, Dale Jewett, right? Yes. Okay. Anyway, but you got your first airplane ride. There was yeah, I don't remember exactly which one it was. It would have been just a. A small two-seater. And that was as a result of you being in the Civil Air Patrol? Yes. So so most people probably don't even... I know what the Civil Air Patrol is, but can you explain what it is? It's an auxiliary of the Air Force. In case uh, during World War II, uh, if they had a research mission looking for an airplane or something, the Civil Air Patrol was called out to go out and search for these airplanes. Missing airplane, uh, help on alerts. But they had uh, Air Force uniforms. We wore uniforms. We marched just like Air Force. And it was a great thing. I loved it. And it was happened once a week. So we did that. And then uh, I stayed in there two years. And I got to ride to, in the 19, when I was 16 or 17, it would have been 1952, probably. We got a silver patrol. We flew from Hastings, Nebraska, in a C-119 flying boxcar to the Wichita Air Force Base at the time, which is now McConnell. And we spent a two-week encampment there. And then the next year, we rode in a C-47, which uh, in the military days was the C-47, up to uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And that was a two-week encampment up there. We had to march and do the same thing. What would you do during these encampments? We go to schools, classes, and march outside, and then they took us on tours. They took us uh, up in, mainly I remember the one in Rapid City, South Dakota, because that was a B-36 base. And uh, I was a B-36 fan. We we got to get up or climb on a ladder, walk on the wings of the B-36, and the few slots to look down through the cockpit, but we couldn't go inside. So as we mo- went around uh, to classes, and marching and took us on a big tour 
up to the see Mount Rushmore and through the mountains in South Dakota. And I really loved it. It was a great, great, great trip. Got pictures. Yet in my, in my, uh, in the uh, portfolios of, of that trip. And uh, so then, uh, as, I, as I progressed, I went decided the draft was coming up. I was going to have to be drafted. So I decided I'm going to join the Air Force. I wanted to work on airplanes. We lost the oldest brother, Kenny, went to the Army in September of 49. So the draft was coming as a result of the yes. Korean War. Yes. This is well, World Korean... War II, they had the draft on, and they kept the draft through the Korean War. Okay. And uh, I did not want to carry a rifle because we lost Kenny in Korea. And the very early at, stages at very of early stage. Yes. I mean, he was like one of the first people Nin on the ground. It started in uh, July, uh, June of 1950. And in July 16th, according to the records, is when he lost his life along the Coombe River in uh, Korea. And he was in an artillery unit, correct? He was artillery. And was my brother, Butch Lawrence, he researched Kenny's records and found out he helped uh, carry ammo over for the weapons. So then, as we lost his life, I said, I'm not going to carry a rifle. I wanted to work on airplanes anyway. So I just went to join the Air Force, and I had four years, and I had a great time. I worked on airplanes, uh, worked on the engines. Which uh, aircraft did you work on? The Boeing KC-97 refueler. Okay. So and what? So what is the difference between, so I've heard you say, C-47, I've heard you say B-36, now I've heard you say KC, what, 97, right? 97. So what are the de de different designations of the Bs and the Cs and the KCs? Okay, the B was a bomber, <clears throat> the C was cargo, mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, KC was air refueler. Now, why they called it KC, I don't know, but it was, it was air, it, they took a Boeing, Stratus, air, let's see, they had the Boeing, Strato airplane they built, used for airlines years back, and they took that and added uh, the boom and made it into a refueler. Was that a pressurized or unpressurized? It was cabin? pressurized. Okay, all pressurized, so they could go up to higher altitudes yep. that way. Yep. How much fuel could it hold? Uh, about ninety-two hundred gallons, as I recall. How much would it, each aircraft that they refueled take, or did it just depend? It just depended. I didn't get into that part. I was more of the mechanic. Yeah. On the engine mechanic, and then well, that's that's pretty important because without you, it doesn't get off the ground. Well, that's right. But <laughs> what was interesting? It was the the uh, R four uh, radio engine, uh, cubic inches for forty three sixty cubic inches, about thirty four hundred horsepower. And this is each engine. Each engine. How many engines did it have? Four engines. Okay. And each cylinder had two spark plugs, so out of twenty eight cylinders. Four rows, seven banks. There's 56 spark plugs. And the big thing was the the airplane when it took off, you had to check the torque of the engine. If it was low, they had to abort the takeoff and come back and change all the spark plugs <laughs> in a hurry. <laughs> they had this time slot, maybe an hour and a half to get to their refueling mission. So you had to change all these spark plugs. So we'd get about four or five mechanics up around that engine, yank all that. Why, why was the torque important? I, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, the, the, the torque the engine was putting out to carry the power. It was a matter of the, why, how much power it's putting out. So would, would it be it because low, of... With low power and you got full fuel, 
it's uh, you may not get to take off. So the spark plugs are essentially like old or not firing right at that they're, point. They're not all firing. Good. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. You got low low ignition, okay. so to speak. So you got plenty of fuel, plenty of air, not and enough spark. Not enough spark. Got it. So uh, I, I, I my career in the Air Force, I got to be assistant crew chief for about a, a year and a half on the KC ninety seven, which I got to travel to different. I went to England a couple times with it. And I traveled to Green Bay, uh, Tule, Greenland. Stayed there two weeks. And then, uh, these were all, uh, special, uh, special missions for encampments and things of that nature. Did you get to do any sightseeing while you were at either place? Not really. But when I was in England the first time, see, the, the Strategic Air Command requires that you go somewhere every for three months every year, in case of a war, then you can reestablish someplace and operate in another mode, rather than just home. Yeah, and that's what we did. So, uh, one year we went to Newfoundland, Greenland. Next year we went to England, uh, Lake and Heath Air Force Base. Stayed there for three months. I got to tour London at the time, and then when I got to be sent to crew chief. We traveled on VIP trips, <clears throat> went to Tule Green, as I was mentioned, went to, back to England again. And uh, so that uh, that was uh, interesting to get to travel around with the airplane. What did you think of London? Was there like any oh, culture shock or things that were different that you were like not expecting? Or? Well, uh, England was great. And I, I always talk about fish and chips. And chips is French fries over there. They call it chips. The fish, I had that. But, uh, you, actually, you actually ate fish? Yes. Well, I like fish. <laughs> well, I thought you didn't like... No, it's it's your dad that don't like fish. Oh, I thought you didn't like like shrimp and stuff like that. Well, I don't eat it. I can eat it if I want. I just don't. Uh, you're confusing me deep, right now. Deep fried shrimp is okay. <laughs> well, um, you know, and one thing I never knew, I never knew you went to England or, or uh, uh, Greenland. I never well, knew that. You didn't know something <clears throat> else either. I When I was in uh, England the first time, why well, they had they're called rest and recuperation, and they have work where you can take off and get paid and just go somewhere. And we, a friend and I, we got on there and went to Dublin, Ireland. We spent a week in Dublin, Ireland, and then the weather was bad, and they couldn't come and get us. <laughs> so we went to the American Embassy and got some money to tide us over, and we stayed another week. And I rode one of those big old double-decker buses that bounced up and down. But I have a, mo- a videotape, uh, not a video. It's a, a eight millimeter tape in my my container downstairs of that trip in Ireland. My fr- I bought a vi- eight millimeter camera. How much I, did that cost you back then? Well, it was only like forty dollars. Well, but but forty dollars back then was back, probably quite well, a bit. When I got to England, I bought it at the base exchange because I thought it'd be cheaper. Well, then uh, my first black and white tape was uh, or. Uh, movie was in England or over in Ireland huh. and I was showing pictures and double-decker bus black and white whether it's any good now I bet you it but is. at that day I had the opportunity we were walking around London some we took a big tour with the cabbie drove us all over London explained everything and another guy took us on another little tour and we went across the street from uh, from uh Number 10 Downing Street, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Prime Minister's Place. Yeah. 
Well, at that time, no one was guarding it. I walked up, got on the step, and had my picture taken in the movie. <laughs> and along come one of their policemen, which they called Bobbies over there, and said, you can't be here. So I left. So I got to do you, that. You criminal, you. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do that. And I was young and good looking then, too. <laughs> so anyway, then my, my time uh, was just so glorious in the Air Force. Uh, I stayed at Lincoln Air Force Base all the time, and I could go home 100 miles back to Hastings all the time if I wanted. But my goal when I got out of the Air Force was to be a flight engineer. And I went, you had to have two years of college or a aircraft mechanic, A&P, airframe power plant license. What's the difference between just like mechanic and aircraft engineer? The the flight engineer was monitoring uh, sure. engines. And then on the airliner. Oh, so you, okay. Airliner so, 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 so you have like basically the pilot, co-pilot, and then yeah. the engineer sits and in the engineer. back and basically monitors the he, power plant. He's the one that starts the engines. Got and, it, got it, got it. And monitors all that and rides there. And that, that position's kind of defunct these days with computers and fly-by-wire yeah. wire and all that stuff, yeah, right? Changed a lot. But even back then in the KC-97, they did the same thing. Okay. So, uh, and I went on one refueling mission in the KC-97. And it was interesting. I didn't normally go because you had the flight crew and you had the, the ground crew and they had to fight a little bit, you know. <laughs> Come on, you get that airplane off the ground. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do that. Well, anyway, one time it was going to have bad weather and the crew chief couldn't go, so he had me go. That's it, crew chief. So we went. And so he's going to send you up in the bad weather so instead I went of up, him going up in the bad weather. I went weather. up and they did the refueling mission. And I knew nothing about them flight instruments. I knew about the engine and the power plant instruments. But when I got down to, uh, I'd run, they were refueling an airplane, the B-47 bomber. So I'd run to the cockpit, see what's going on. I'd go back to the boom operator. <laughs> Finally, I got in front of the aircraft commander and says, Sowers, you're going to have to stay in one place or the other. You ruined the weight and balance of this airplane <laughs> while they're refueling. Because if, if you get a gust, it'll automatically disconnect. So I went back and watched the boom operator. He lays on his belly and flies that boom right through this window. Cool. So I got to do that. And that was fun. And I think best... The best part of the Air Force was that uh, I enjoyed the airplanes. I enjoyed what I got to do. I enjoyed the travels to Parks Air Force Base for basic training out in California. We rode the Air uh, uh, DC-4 out to California. What's the DC, do you know? Yeah, D was, uh, that's a civilian airplane, Douglas. Oh, okay. Douglas Cargo. So more of a more of a more of a a, a passenger transport yes, type. Passenger deck airliner. Okay, got it. Airliner back in them days. Got it. Flew us to San Francisco, and then we got a bus ride all the way to Oakland, California, and then to Parks Air Force Base. And I stayed there for three months, and then rode the train back to Nebraska when we left. So I also during basic training, they after so long, they give you a chance to leave the base for thirty six hours. So we got a friend and I that went to Air Force with, Rob, Bob Armstrong. No, not Bob Armstrong. Uh, Robert Cooper. And we went to high school together. We're good friends. So we, uh, and we went to Air Force together and we got to bunk together and, uh, we went to San Francisco, three of us, for overnight. Did you do what they do in the movies and paint the town? 
No, we got a cabbie and took us on a tour. <laughs> we went to Fisherman's Wharf. See, and, see, you must have learned your lesson from the Bobby. You went from a criminal lifestyle <laughs> back to just well, a, a nice, yeah. clean-cut Air Force guy just doing yeah. tours. That's right. <laughs> yep. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. My time in the Air Force was fantastic. No fighting. What was it weird is I wasn't good at math, so I was nervous. I was afraid I'd always be AWOL. So when you got to the flight line, there were security guards there. And you had to give a code. And he might say, like, 7. Well, if the code was 15, you got to come up with the other number to make 15. Well, I couldn't think that quick. I couldn't think 8 because I'm nervous on the line. There's a rope there. Oh, they're going to get me. <laughs> so I had a hard time with that part, but I enjoyed being out on the airplane. Well, I think that's also an intriguing part of your story, and I wasn't sure whether you were going to share that part or not. Was I think it's easy to look back on hindsight and like you know you did all these like really cool things, but you had some real struggles. Like I mean, you you it wasn't something that just came automatic and easy to you. It was something you had to work through yes, because you did I struggle did. with those things. I was always afraid of being able on the roll call at seven thirty and being late sleeper. Uh, that and the, and the well, the math and, and the those math, things too. Yes. You know, I know those oh, those weighed on you heavily. Yeah, but the other the, one of the things was that I was having enough nerve problems that I would quit breathing, perhaps a little bit, and then I'd lack oxygen, and then my body'd feel funny, and I wondered what it was. So I went to the what well, then it was a road was a med, med medical med call, I guess had a name for it, sicko. So he had to sign up for sick call, and I went to the doctor there on the base. And I tried to tell him what was going on. He said, you, as I recall, you need to see a psychiatrist, but he done nothing but give me G.I.G. and send me back to the... What's G.I.G.? Well, G.I.G. was a... Uh, during World War II, they had a... They called G.I.s. Right, yeah. Well, they had G.I.G. for medication. They, you drank it for medication. Okay. For the health purposes. I've got to see that's what this is. I've got to see I know what this about is. It. I got to see what, keep going. I want to see what this is. So then I decided that, uh, I, he didn't do me any good, but I wouldn't, wouldn't go anyplace else. And I got through it. I learned about it later on in life, what it was. So now I'm on, uh, I've, I've been taking care of all that, getting much better over the years. But, uh, as I went from the Air Force, I went to aircraft mechanic school because I wanted to learn. Now I learned to fly then, I thought, if them other guys can do it, so can I. So I went to aircraft mechanic school along with learning to fly. And I worked in the Conoco filling station to make my money. And I lived with my aunt and uncle, my stepmother's uh, sister and her husband there in Lincoln, Nebraska, while I was going to aircraft mechanic school. And Is that uh, what they would call the A&P a school? It was a airframe and power plant, yeah, okay, yeah. A&P. And you could get either rating, but I went for and got both of them. So you could be an aircraft mechanic or airframe or a power plant. And you can sign off one or the other. Or if you have our airframe power plant, you can sign both. Well, when you say sign and off, for people that are listening, sign, what is signing off? Well, on an airplane, <clears throat> you had to have an inspected every, every year called an annual inspection or every 100 hours, depending on how you use the airplane. If it was for rent, then you had to do it 100 hours. If it's just owner every year, no matter how many hours it's flown, but you had to have it legally signed off by an aircraft mechanic to inspect it and uh, to update it. And in, in an airplane, 
they have rules you got to go by. You got to maintain it legally, and then you got to sign it's airworthy when you get an inspection. You're putting your name online as a mechanic saying, I certify this aircraft has been inspected in accordance with the FAR so and so. And then what's an FAR? A federal air regulation. Okay. And is considered to be in an airworthy condition. And then the airplane's legal to fly again. And the insurance, the insurance companies require that you do get that inspection. They won't cover you. Yeah. Some, some people elect not to get it inspected at all. They're out in the countries. Things like that. Yeah. So you're going. You're going to A and P school, and you're working at the filling station. Yep. And then, and then you broke a credit card. Oh, uh, that's the next step. <laughs> <laughs> how, yeah. how old are you at this point? I, I was uh, 22. 22. Yeah, I went to Air Force when I was 18, and uh, so civilian Air Patrol 16. Yeah. And then you signed up for the Air Force in 18. 18. And then you've done all this traveling in the world. Now. You're at 22, 22, and you're you're assistant crew chief, and you've decided like I, you're going to go for your A and P, right? And you're going to be a I'm flight out, en- you're going to be a flight engineer. Yeah. Okay. But then that flight engineer didn't work. Because so what, what what year is this again? We're back. We're back in uh, uh, fifty uh, fi- sixty. So so World, out, World War Two is what World War Two is well over. Yeah, well over. Korean War is or over is over. Okay. And uh, the uh, the Vietnam hadn't started yet. Okay, I was in between all that. I Got was it. cold, considered a cold war. Okay, and what happened was the World War Two GI Bill ran out January thirty first of nineteen fifty five. I wasn't aware of any of that stuff. I just wanted to go to the Air Force. February first, I went down, got a physical. They flew us to Omaha from Link Hastings, Nebraska. To Omaha and give us a physical and send us back home till the fifteenth of February. So I did not have a GI Bill. So they 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 literally flew you just for a, a physical. Yeah, they took a, well on a bus. I think took us on a bus. Oh, okay. I was going to say they put to, you on an aircraft Omaha, just for to a Omaha. Physical. Okay, got it. Got to get it. a physical, okay. but they sent us back home because they didn't have room for us anywhere. Because a lot of people people from uh, where the GI Bill they went in, and all the places were filled up with veterans. Got it. So they held us off for 15 days. But then after the Air Force, I just wanted to get my license and decided. Uh, then I worked in filling station. That's when I met this lady friend, Doris. And uh, so uh, the thing was, the other guy worked in there. He was in the Air Force, stationed there at Lincoln. And I'm out of the Air Force. And he was talking to this to Doris. She's just a young lady working in town and had one year of college. And he was out talking to her, and he'd, married 11, he'd been married for 11 years. And uh, he kept talking to her, and I was talking to her at night. Well, one day, one of the guys that worked full-time on Saturday said, you ought to date that girl. I said, she's really nice. So then I started paying more attention to her. So one night, Bob Toonin was the guy he named to work with. He was out talking to her, and I pumped, I filled her car with gas, and I took her credit card. Back in them days, were real brittle, and I'm walking in, flicking it between my fingers, and I broke it in half. So then we had those machines that you put, lay the card down in, and you run this top over it to print it off. To make a receipt on carbon paper. Yeah. So I ended up uh, 
taping that car together and giving it back to her and apologize for breaking it. So that became a big joke that I was nervous over her. The the rest is history. The rest is history, <laughs> yeah. The rest is history. And so then we end up uh, dating and getting married in 19, April 6, 1962. Which, the, also, the, which also coincides with my birthday. That's right. Yep. That was our... Our anniversary present. <laughs> so, uh, 24 years later. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we, we had a good life together over the years. And, uh, I, uh, was looking for a job on aircraft maintenance after I got out of. Where, where was, how, we go back. Where was, where was grandma from? She was from Hamburg. She was from McKissick Island, uh, in uh, Nemaw County, Nebraska. And if you look at the map and go on this, the east border where the Missouri River runs down, you get down to the very far tip of Nebraska on the lower southeast side. The Missouri River, years back, took this little piece of land and cut it off, and the, and the river went and left that on the Iowa side of the river. Cut it off. Well, that... That became McKissick Island, and it was where she was raised on that island, and uh, still in uh, Nebraska. Yeah, and the, I think on another the Iowa side of the river. And she drove when she drove to school every day. She and drove through three states to get to school every day. When she went to country school there, in uh, uh, down the road from the farm, she raised on the farm, and uh, then when it comes time to go to high school, she went to Hamburg, Iowa. She had to leave Nebraska and go to the corner of Missouri and then into Iowa to go to school. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting trip through yeah, there. I always thought that was funny. It is funny. That's what she talked about. Also, by the way, she had a backseat driver's license. I didn't know if you knew that. She had a what? Backseat driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> if she didn't like the way you're driving, she was authorized to tell you did, how. Did she you let you know. Did you know the very first time I ever went 90 in a car was with Grandma? Really? No, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. I remember one she day. She went that fast? Yep. Yep. We were, she was, I was staying the night with you guys <laughs> and, um, she was driving me to a baseball game in Lions. Um, and for some reason, I, I don't know why I was staying. Oh, I was, okay. it, it, so you remember when I'd go out to the Dillon Nature Center to the camps oh, and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah. I was going to camp. Oh. And then also I had a baseball game that night. Oh. So she picked me up from the camp and she was driving me to really? Lions. Yeah. So, uh, how interesting. Yeah, so so on that on that same note, she we're on we're on twenty second or Avenue V headed in towards Sterling. And she this car, she wanted to get around it. She was passing it. Um and, and I don't know why or if the car was annoying her or something, I don't know. I don't remember. But I remember her passing it and I remember kind of getting sucked back in the seat a little bit because the car was accelerating. <laughs> and then I look over and, bef- and I'm like, I'm like, holy cow, we're going 90. Like, this is amazing. You know, wow. and that, and that was, that was when pr- pretty much every speed limit was still 55. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. And I was like, holy cow, I'm going 90 with my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, uh, so she, she drove through three states to school, the good stuff. And like, so where were, where were her parents from? And they were from, uh, from Iowa. Cause great grandma Stenzel lived okay. in Hamburg. Okay. I know that. Okay. Uh, her dad was born in Marion County, Kansas. And, um, uh, see, was he born there? 
he he was raised her his dad took him down to Marion Kansas and they lived in a little area there uh, can't think of the name of it now it's just little it's no longer there I've talked to some people that lived there but he was from there he was in high school and then they moved to Hamburg Iowa okay well, and then and they and they had a farm there too. A farm there. They didn't always live inside the city limits of Hamburg. Right? No. Yeah. Because well, I remember that, I remember visiting the that, farm. That community north of uh, in Marion, up north. Oh, it's they. I can't bring it up. I can't bring it up right now. Yeah, understood. But uh, then when they moved back, moved up to Hamburg, Iowa. Why he was eighteen and he was hauling. Hey, across town on a wagon and, and a team, and got a dollar a day. Thought if he could do that rest of his life, he would just uh, have a good time. But anyway, that's he was. I'm trying to think where he was actually born. I not don't remember for sure. Okay, no worries. But uh, what about Grandma Stenzel? She was born uh, in Hamburg, I think. I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, that part I have. You're, 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 you're welcome. I haven't really memorized that well. <laughs> uh, but her mother was adopted out, raised by... Grandma uh, Stenzel's yeah, mother or, or Grandma's mother? Gra- Grandma Stenzel was adopted out. Okay. Because her father couldn't take care of her. Somebody couldn't take care of her, so adopted her out. And she had a good life. But it wasn't. I have to reread that information. I don't have it available right now. I don't really have a whole lot of recollection of them. You but know, we, I have at home. I have a book that her sister Jean uh, Stenzel was a historian. She was older than Doris. So that would have been Grandma Stenzel's daughter. Yes, Jean. Okay, yeah, got it. Jean, got it. And she made up a book on the on the history of the okay. Stenzels. Right. I have at the house. Okay. So that's, well, you, that you should have been you there. should have been studying and reviewing and making notes in anticipation oh. for today. Oh, I've been with church today. <laughs> um, and and my guitar and uh, spangles and spangles. That, yeah, spangles, spangles, yeah. spangles being the important <laughs> yeah, piece spangles, of that equation. Because yeah. you know, then he then he gets to take this young lady out. That's why. Yeah, that's the important piece. That's well, the I've important been, part of the day. I've been going to spangles since two thousand seven. Because yeah, but you didn't have Fran since 2007. No, but I had Doris then. <laughs> and uh, I would go over there and have coffee. And she'd say when she couldn't get out and go. So, Well, that's another thing. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you want me to edit this out, I can. I'll make note of the time. But that was one thing that I, I, I don't know if I've ever told you. But as a man viewing you today, um, I'll try to say this without getting too emotional. Um is like I owe, like today with the, the hindsight, I see you with such admiration and respect because, um, you know, we would always go out and do things and we'd always have to go home to like, you know, so you could check on grandma yeah. and stuff like that. And seeing you, you know, have your freedom and be able to go do what you want, go, yeah. to, go to Hastings, you know, um, yeah. go do the things that you wanted to do. Um, because, you know, you spent a lot of time as a caretaker, you yeah. know, with grandma having arthritis and, and all the things that essentially just kept her not being as immobile, like we didn't get to travel as a family. I mean, I remember us traveling one time for uh, Estes family reunion in the Missouri area. It was either Missouri or Nebraska, yeah, somewhere around. Missouri. I think it was in St. Joe, wasn't it? 
North, yeah, right up that area. Yeah, and so, like, that was really the, and, you know, Grandma Stenzel, Grandpa Stenzel were there and stuff like that. But, you know, we, we really didn't get to travel a lot because, you know, she was always on, like, Lasix and, you know, stuff yeah. like that to where, you know, just travel wasn't really a thing we ever did. I mean, the, I, I rem- the furthest we ever went was maybe Lions or Church yeah. or, yeah. you know, I mean, granted, I got to ride her scooter in the yeah. parking lot a lot and stuff like that. You and remember so, that, huh? Yeah. And it had so, to go clear around the parking lot just to get to the car. Yeah. but yeah, I th- Just put it away. You know, of, of just seeing the, the example that you set as a man and what it is to be a husband and a man, but also still have, take me fishing, take me golfing. Uh, have water balloon fights with me, uh, build, you know, huge ice or, uh, snow ramps, snow ramps in front of the house that I could like ride my sled down and stuff like that. So I don't know if I've ever told you those words, but like I look back on all that very fondly and with admiration and respect. So, well, I think about the time, about the, the, my favorite grandson that, uh, when it's time for a grandpa to take a nap. His only grandson. My <laughs> <laughs> <Our> favorite grandson. <laughs> when it's come time for me to take a nap, why I would, I would uh, set the timer of 30 minutes for what I was sleeping. He turned it back about 15 minutes. So I only got about 15 minutes rest. <laughs> 15 minutes might have been a stretch. <laughs> but, but he, he was, uh, an anxious kid is like his children on the move and i had to find a way i don't like to hear that word i'm bored i don't want to hear that so i was trying to make sure that didn't happen and then his uh his uh, grandmother said al why do you keep taking nick somewhere why can't you just entertain right here at home that's well well i had my reasons then but then I, when I asked you one time, did you ever have much time you spent with Grandma? Because I kept taking you away. Oh, yeah. I took you up to Rock City, north of Salina. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, I was, well, I, I took, well, I'd take you golfing and all that. But I mean. Yeah, golfing was usually the furthest we went was Inman. Yeah. Because remember, remember, you'd tell me that I'd have to, you, I'd have to get good at the sand greens before you, we, could get a, we could get a cart okay. and go to Cary Park. Yep. Because he, you weren't going to have people waiting on us. That's right. Because Cary Park was for the highfalutin good golfing people. You remember the other part of that? What? You said, why don't we get a cart, Grandpa? Yeah, why yeah. don't we get a cart? And I said, well, just think of it this way. When you get to be my age and you can't walk because you rode a cart, you wish you would have walked. <laughs> he said, yeah, but Grandpa, we could play two or more holes. <laughs> <laughs> get more holes in that way. Get more holes in that way, yeah. Um, so anyway, as, as I married Doris, we had a good life and, and, uh, I drove to Des Moines, Iowa to get, to get a job. That didn't work. And then I went to Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls, South Dakota as a licensed aircraft mechanic. They wanted experience. So then I ended up, we went to Denver, Colorado and, uh, going to go through Estes Park at the time. And I was going to go see my aunt and uncle at Grand, at, uh, Grand Junction. Uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, I think it was. And she had a cousin out in Colorado, worked, uh, so I went to a prop shop in Colorado and they said, well, you gotta have experience. So I didn't get a job there. What, what, what is a prop shop? Propeller shop, overhaul shop. Okay. So for, for airplanes. Got it. I'm just, for people listening well, that don't oh, know, yeah, I just want you to explain. You gotta so. keep me going there. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, while I was at Lincoln Air Force uh, in, in 
Well, I was going to school and learned to fly out there. But anyway, they I went out there for some reason and said that somebody would come through looking for a mechanic from Hutchison, Kansas, Bob Armstrong. So I called a number and ended up coming down here for an interview and got a job down here in, in Hutchison, Kansas. Was it was it Wells Aircraft at no, that time? No, it was... Uh, 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 Putting you on the spot again. Yeah. Skycraft. Okay. Skycraft. And I came down to work as a mechanic. First time I, I got to work on airplanes. So I worked there for uh, from uh, 62, well, let's see, 63. You know, we moved down here in February 63. And then... Alvin, your your dad was born in, in April, so or May. <clears throat> so then I uh, I <clears throat> worked for Skycraft till Wells Aircraft bought Skycraft out in November of of sixty uh, eight, and I worked for Wells Aircraft. But the boss and I didn't get along, and there, I'd heard a job in Omaha at a Sky Harbor Airport. Northern Natural Gas worked on their airplanes, and I had turned that job down about six months before this. Then I decided I want to get back in Nebraska and do pheasant hunting, so I took a job up there and moved us up to Omaha in 1970. And we lived in Placent, Nebraska, and that was the year that Alvin was in the second grade, and it just wasn't working. And I decided I wanted to come back to Hutchison. So ten months later, we moved back to Hutchison. Oh boy! Then that was in seventy one, seventy six. I moved to Alliance to work for a job up there as service manager at the Lions Airport, right? Lions Airport, which I did. I got to fly more airplanes as a service manager. I got to test fly the airplanes. So what what exactly would like a service manager do in the aircraft world? Well, the same thing as a car, just. you you take in the job, schedule the work, order the parts, or see that all this is done. Airplanes are taken care of, get them signed off, get them inspected properly, make sure mechanics are doing the job, trying to make money for the company. So I think we we also we also missed a little bit of a step in there. So you got your A and P and everything, but A and P doesn't mean that you can just hop into any aircraft and go fly it, right? Well, so you had to get A and P is a mechanic, right? Then but you'd you become a pilot, right? So That's we a separate rating. We missed that part. So like okay. what? So so you you went through getting your private so pilot. So I started flying back when I was going to their to aircraft mechanic school, and I and thought if those what guys aircraft, what aircraft do did you? What was your fly for J three Cub? Yeah, and. uh it was a simple airplane, and uh, well, a little tour there. My first uh, cross country uh, went uh, from from Lincoln, Nebraska, and you have no radio, nothing. You're just going by strictly pilotage by maps, and don't follow the magnetic compass. I was told that. Don't. Don't. It does this. It, it oh, it bounces. It bounces, and don't follow the magnetic compass because of deviations. Well, I ended up getting lost. Some of these towns wasn't on the map. So I landed at an airport, and they didn't. That airport was closed. They always said land at the closest airport and fly over the airport and identify it. So I did. I got down, and that airport was closed. 
Well, the airplane would run on automotive fuel then. So this guy put in some automotive fuel, and I flew to the uh, new airport at uh, Clay, it was a Clay Center, I think it was, Nebraska, Kansas. And then I was supposed to go on to uh, Manhattan, which I did. Then I was supposed to go to Junction City and back home. Well, I called the instructor and said, I this, this, and that. And he said, well, come on back home. So I went back to Lincoln. Then I took another cross-country, solo cross-country, from Lincoln to Holdry, Nebraska, because I knew about that area. And then on the way back home, I landed at Hastings, Nebraska, and called my dad, went and visited with him. And then I went, took, he took me back to the airport, and I flew on back to Lincoln. And then eventually I got my pilot's license. Well, I so, think it, it's interesting, is, again, is uh, thinking of the comforts. Like, for instance, today's day and age, it's easy to say, you know, hey, Siri, hey, whatever, yeah. take me here. Yeah. And granted, in a, in a, in a car, but even aircraft today has GPS. You basically That's just right. plug it in, and no. the aircraft essentially flies itself to it when you're having to do all of this all essentially of manually. You had your map there, and you're, you're, you've got your line drawn on the map of what town you should run into. You had to identify the town to keep track of where you're at. And this, this, this one town just didn't seem to be there, and it was February in the wintertime, and you don't have any big heater in them airplanes. Yeah. And you have a, yeah, your fuel tank is a bobber and then up in front of you and then you see this little, little, uh, stem up there. And when if that stem, if that float gets soaked up with fuel, it just floats down like you don't have any fuel. That's scary. So anyway, I, that did happen to me. Well, and also, you know, if something did bad happen to where you had to put the aircraft down, I mean, there's there's no radio, there's no, no radio, cell phone. No, you just land. Yeah, nobody nobody would know until somebody at some point said, "Hey, he was supposed to be back by now." Yeah. So would that would that be also a civilian air patrol thing then? Like, if you were to yeah, go missing, yes. would they have called the, yeah, them they, out to look could. for you? Yeah, they could. They wouldn't okay. call the air force. They used to say we're patrol for that purpose then. So I got a, I got the picture pulled up here of the cockpit of that that J three yep. Cub. What are, what are all of those instruments? Well, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very. If I get my glasses on, I might be able to see it. Better. It's very, it's very sparse compared to what you see in other aircraft, um, other aircraft cockpits. So there, I, I blew it up a little bit for you. Well, you've got a tachometer, you've got an alt, an, uh, an altimeter, you've got a. Uh, there's like airspeed, the, oil temp, and oil pressure. And so you're having to monitor all this, all this. on top of how fa how fast the aircraft's going, navigation. Yeah, and this is a more modern airplane that could, didn't have a turn of bank in it. That's <laughs> been added. Well, you, that's that's the one that you took us to visit just outside of town. Oh, that's Max's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the one I had didn't have a turn that turn coordinator in the middle. Okay. Just for reference, so you can see it too. That's it. And and them airplanes, the airplane did not have a stall warning in the stall warning indicator. All you do is, if you stalled, you could feel the shutter, and it could go into a spin. So you had to. Uh, we weren't taught to spin. We was taught to feel the shutter to before the stall, and then you lower the nose and gain the speed back. And they called approach to a stall. 
Okay. So I learned to fly then. And uh, Did you ever have to do any uh, emergency landings? You had to practice it, yes. You, yeah. They'd pull the throttle on you or something, and, and uh, you'd have to pick a field. You always, you always keep track of a landing's place. No matter, even if you're modern airplanes, you still keep track where you could land if you had to. And wheat fields were bad in the summertime because they had generated heat, convection stuff. And that's where gliders fly in, those convection currents. So you had to kind of avoid that. And you don't land on the road unless you have to. But, but when you land, you try to pick a place that's wide open and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, you practice that. And one guy, uh, when he took his check ride back when I was going to AP school, he, uh, when they, their engine failed on their, on their emergency landing thing and they had to land in the field. When you get down to where the, the, uh, the pilot, the trainer sees that you can make it, he just adds a power back. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and fly back, get altitude. But uh, this case, the engine failed, and they had to land. But it, they were safe. But you land in the field, and you try to pick a field that's most smooth and safe. But you learn how to do that. They teach you a lot. Well, it'd be better to do in a J three Cub versus a KC ninety seven. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that the that- sink. The sink rate might be 500 feet per minute in a J3 Cub or less. What's what's sink rate? Well, that's where you would have no power. An airplane, if you control the the uh, the controllable airspeed, you'll sink about 500 foot a minute. Okay, got it. So you're you gotta you and you don't make a bunch of curves because you lose air, lose airspeed trying to get place to land. You try to just get, just move her to it and land. So long story short, you're essentially trying to manage the airspeed to get as much lift for as long as possible. For as long as possible. Right. Okay. Until you get to your destination, you learn how to land a short field and things of that nature. J3 Cubs are essentially made for that very thing. I mean, they have whole competitions of short field takeoff and landing. I mean, they'll, those guys will stop those aircraft on a dime. If you ever get to Oscars, Wisconsin, you'll see all kinds of stuff. They are experimental. Air, the National Air Experimental Aviation Show, CA, uh, you know, Air Adventure, they call it now. You can get it on Facebook. If you look on Facebook, it's Air Adventures on Facebook, you can keep, they'll keep track of all that. Do you, do you listen? Have you ever listened to ATC or the air traffic control yes. for Oskosh when, uh, when that's going on? Yes, because we flew in there, Dale yeah. and I. Yeah. Well, I was going to get there eventually. Yeah. But, um, I just, it was fascinating for me to listen to those yeah. guys, those ATCs. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about somebody that's professional and can get a job done yeah. when you're putting, I mean, if you think of Oskosh today, at least you're putting hundreds of millions of dollars worth of aircraft on the ground. Yes. And and all of that is in your hands. Yes. And you have to make sure that you're putting these people in line. And and then then you've got people that never flown a pattern like that. They've never flown in a pattern like that ever. That are coming in, that are screwing it up, and you're trying to tell them, no, no, don't do that, don't do that, as well. So I think it's it's fascinating to listen to. Um. So so the part that I I don't know if everybody knows is so when you went to be like a service manager, you couldn't just take your private pilot and make money off your private pilot fly. You had to get a commercial rating. Commercial rating. And then so why? What's how's that different? Why is that important? It's more accurate precision flying. You had to have so much time under the. Well, back when I learned to fly, uh, okay, when I learned to fly, you didn't have to have any. Uh, what they call hood time. Close your eye like you're flying IFR. 
in-flight rules. You can't see anything. Yeah, so IFR's in instrument flight ratings. Flight rules. And basically meaning like you can't, you, you have no vision of the ground. That's You're right. trusting the instruments completely. Yeah. And Trust so flying under the hood. Flying under the hood is where they literally Simulate. put like a put like a blanket over you to where that's well, all you can they see. They put a hood over you, where yeah, you right, can, where you can't see out, you're but you can only at, see the instruments. See the instruments. I'm sorry, blanket hood. You know, yeah, sorry. but I had to do that for a commercial rating. Then I decided the reason I, I was a private pilot. The reason, and as service manager, I got test fly the airplane, so I got a lot of free flying time. But one of the things that one one trip, uh, this guy had a uh, antique airplane with no radios and he worked for Skycraft same as I did and he wanted to fly out and get his uh, maybe uh, get his uh, airplane out of Nickerson Field by Nickerson and fly it in to work on it in the hangar there at Skycraft so I loaded up my wife Doris and my son Alvin and Ray Cunningham and took off from Hutchison and flew over to Nickerson. And when I got over there, I was experienced with the airplane, but I wasn't real good at short field. And that's a, a sod field over there. So I came in too high. And I had to go around. And I did the proper thing, made it over the end of the runway, came back around and did about the same thing, but only... I put it on the right way and it got stopped. Well, here I had three lives plus mine in jeopardy. And I said, this ain't right. So when we left next field, <laughs> I was a flight of two. I'm talking for that airplane behind me. So flight of two. So I just took off and I flew on back to Hutchison. When you say you're talking for the plane behind you, you're the one communicating with ATC? With Yeah, with the tower at Hutchison. Okay, right. right. And he's supposed to be following me formation style. I'd never done it. So uh, I called in for flight of two. He said, well, where's the other airplane? That's right behind me. <laughs> he said, we don't have him in sight. I didn't stop to think. He's only doing 80 mile an hour. I'm doing 100. Whoops. I'm outrunning him. How, how, pretty hard to and stay I in formation. I took off first, and then he took off behind me. So I'm on my way, oh, no. and he's probably five miles behind me. Oops. So, uh, or more. So, when I got on the ground, and he wasn't there. But when I got on the ground, they said, hey, call the tower when you get shut down. Well, then, Ray, they if you don't have a radio, I let him know he was coming. And don't have a radio, then you have a procedure. You fly over the airport to get the tower's attention. And they'll give you the lights. Yeah. To land. Well, that's what they did. Was him. that the was that the thing that's in the 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 tower that's hanging up on the ceiling? Looks almost like a spotlight. Yes. So they'll the, they'll give like red, green, yeah, you've or seen yellow, those. right? And that that also in today's day and age that can be used like if they have an electronic electronic malfunction, they have no radio, they can still use yes, that light. You can still use it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So anyway, uh, I had to call the tower and they chewed me out, and I told them the deal. So. Then I said, I, I was with Skycraft then. I really, you know, I was, I was with Wells Aircraft then. I had to be. So then I said, I'm not going to fly till I get a commercial rating. No more of that. So a commercial rating, you're, you earn more spot landings, more concentrated on short field takeoffs, short field landings, more about your, more serious flying, not just 
private pilot's more of a recreational. Uh, commercial's more precision because you're hauling for hire. So I said, I'm going to get a commercial. So I did. And then you had to go and that get like twin one, engine ratings and everything well, too. Then, <clears throat> then the, that's that part of the the I got covered under the uh, Vietnam GI Bill style school for schooling. So I got my commercial with the the uh, GI Bill supposedly then, and uh, then when I got to twin ratings, same deal. So just for perspective. How much an hour, if back then, when you were learning to fly, how much would you have, would you had to have paid back then? When roughly? I learned to fly, I paid about eight hundred dollars. So, but but what would it be an hour? So if how well, many how many hours? How many hours? The airplane, the JC, rented for eight dollar eight fifty an hour. Eight dollars and fifty cents. Is that wet or dry? It was wet. Okay, wet and wet meaning with fuel. Wet with fuel. Right. And then the uh, the instructor got three dollars. So eleven fifty an hour total. Yeah. That's right. Or eight fifty plus three. Yeah, well, I got my license within about let's see, eight about forty hours, something like that. I paid around eight hundred dollars total. So that would have been basically twenty bucks an hour is kind of what you invested overall, is what this is. If you got it, if you got it in forty forty hours, eight hundred bucks. Well, okay. I it's in my logbook. I don't remember now how many I had. Well, again, I'm just putting it in perspective yeah. because my dad. Is yeah. just just finished his, and yeah. you're looking at like just for the aircraft, and I think even is 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 it's like a hundred for that. For it's like a hundred flight. Yeah, it's a hundred and seventy five dollars. Yeah, I think that's what he said. Uh, something like that. And was that wet or dry? That was wet. Okay, and then the instructor is another like what? Uh, it was eighty dollars, eighty or ninety dollars yeah. an hour. So now you're at uh what two hundred and sixty some dollars an hour mm-hmm. to get that. And you have to in roughly 40, 40 hours, um, is $10,400. That's the difference between when and you he, flew. He had a hundred before he got his check ride. Oh, that's not, oh, okay. Well, let's do. But he just, it, the, 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 these, these, a lot of these pilots nowadays or instructors fly for airliners or charter work. So they, they're, the instructing is fill in. Yeah. So Alvin just kept flying. Yeah. Just going out and flying and getting experience. And then eventually he got where he could get a check ride. And the check ride is essentially kind of your quote unquote final test it's, before yeah, you, you before know, you take where your, they say you can fly on your own now. Yeah, they you go through all the maneuvers and do what the instructor wants, and he he's the judge. You want to explain to everybody what the one hundred dollar hamburger is? Yeah, that's when you fly uh, twenty five, thirty, forty miles just to get a hamburger. And spend uh, like a hundred hundred dollars for an airplane, just get a uh, two dollar sand hamburger, <laughs> and then and then fly back, and then fly back home. But that's the thing that's always intrigued me about aircraft, and and I've always taken aircraft for granted because I was always around it. Um, as far as like I always got up in them all the time. I remember riding an aircraft with Dean Wedman, um, and on test flights, um, and stuff like that. And so it was always something I just took for granted. Like I just thought like. This is no big deal. Like I mean, people do this, you know, and, yeah. and come to find out that's not the case. Not the case. Um, but it was always interesting to me. Like I remember the first flight to Wichita. Like it seemed like we got there in an instant. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. Well, then to think like now, like if my dad wants to, he could literally say, hey, you want to fly to Dallas for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> and we could literally fly to Dallas, yeah. grab lunch, fly back and, and like and, make a day, easy, yeah. easily make a yeah. day trip out of it. 
And so that's what's always fascinated me about the aircraft is, is, is the ability and the freedom that it kind of gives you to, you know, explore um, the vastness of America in right. shorter periods of time. And you don't have to plan it with anybody. You can just get in and take off and yep. stay out of, a, you got to stay out of controlled areas and all that. Yeah. But uh, you just take off and you just fly and you go land and do your thing, go back home. Well, and then most places even have a courtesy car. That they'll let you just drive around and yeah. keep and like you don't have to pay for it, nothing. I mean, the fact that you're there, you're using their airport, you're buying their fuel, you know, they've got a lounge for you typically and everything like that too is yeah. kind of kind of interesting. So like even if you're if you're I have a friend of mine that lives here in Hutch, he regularly goes to Kansas City for work and he wants to you know, can and get his pri- private pilot so he can fly to Kansas City and do work, get a courtesy car, take a courtesy car, do all of his work, come back, and then fly home. And instead of making eight hours worth of driving that day, he's got like two, three, you know, three hours of flying instead. Yeah. Three, three, four hours of flying instead, which was more, more, would be more fun in my opinion. Yeah. But I think that's the interesting part. So, um, so you're, you're working at Wells Aircraft. You've got your commercial rating. Is this the point with which you kind of th- did the sparks? Uh, yeah, my mind was commercial rating. I hope to have my own business someday. And uh, when that day comes, if I have a commercial rating, I can fly for hire. One thing I didn't realize at the time, that in order to fly for hire, you got your liability involved. you got to have the insurance. Then you also, uh, you got to keep up your, your license uh Go for training every once in a while, and it became uh, more sophisticated, which I thought, well, I never did. So when I got my, I did go in business, bought Sparks Aviation at the Hutchison Airport from Frank Winter. Uh, that was uh, uh, just maintenance-wise. It wasn't for flying. I didn't want no instructor. I didn't want no responsibility on airplane. Just do maintenance. And so you bought Sparks Aviation. Yeah. Um, which Oper- operated for three years, but that's when Doris came down with arthritis, couldn't work. So any money I made was our total living. Yeah. So what, what were some of the lessons you learned in being a business owner? Well, you can't prep your feet on the desk like I wanted to. <laughs> Drink coffee and look out the window. And if you want to make the money, you got to be honest with the customer to keep a customer. But then I found out there's a lot of customers want to fly off of my wages. And they were trying to always Jew me down rather than uh, honor honor my profession. And they didn't trust me. They just wanted it cheap. And the one thing that I did not like is one of uh, just just one of the, one of my customers. Uh, he had to pay his own insurance. His wife he had an airplane, but. He had to pay his own insurance on the airplane, not out of the family budget, out of his own budget. He didn't have it, so he's jewing me down. And I finally gave in because I want to stay in business. But he took business, he took my living away from me. And there's too many people out there doing that. And if you're going to give bargains, they're coming get you. But if you're not giving bargains, they seek you out. Have you ever heard the adage of of cheap, fast, and good? Have you ever heard that? No. Like that. So if it's cheap and fast, it won't be good. But in AV- if it's if it's cheap and good, it won't be fast. Yeah. If it's fast and good, it won't be cheap. <laughs> That's right. So you you know you have to kind of make like you can have out of those three things you can have two. Yeah. You can't have all three. You can have two. Yeah. Decide which ones you want. Well, 
I decided that. Uh, well, I was told when I bought the business that you, if you ain't crooked, you're gonna you're gonna go broke. I said, Dan, I'm gonna Man, go broke. You guys are doing it all wrong, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm gonna go. Owners. Then I'm gonna go broke, and we were losing money, and that and uh, we couldn't get enough business to come in to to make it pay. But the thing was. Even though I was self-employed, and I was president, Doris was vice president of the incorporation, uh, I, I had to pay unemployment insurance, but I couldn't draw it. I was only only employee. I couldn't draw it. <laughs> Didn't make sense to me. Welcome to the laws I that said, our government well, makes. I said, I'll make, well, I'll make my wife president, and I'll be vice president. And if she closes the business, then I can draw it. I'll be the mechanic. You know, it don't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> so... It was a waste of money to me. Well, I remember, you know, I was alive at that time, so I remember playing on like that the lawnmower that was yeah, in there and stuff. I, the picture, that. The, I got the, a picture of that. The picture, and then there was like a, there was a helicopter. It looked almost like a bell, like a the, the Bell Robinsons in a way. Yeah, I don't remember what like it was similar to an R forty four, but yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was. But backing up, I remember you telling a story about how, like, for instance, bearings in a wheel, you know, like. They like Cessna would make the bearing or whatever, yeah. and it would be relatively expensive because yeah. they're the ones that made it. But then customers yeah. would always try to go and get a bearing from just your local like hardware store and want you to put that in. There's, yes. But you were uncomfortable with that because it's like I'm the one signing off on this, and this one's made by. I'm you not going to put my war- my personal warranty on this because I know this product isn't as good. Yeah. yeah. And, well, the thing was, it was the same bearing. You could buy that same bearing here in town. But if I bought it in an aviation place, it was higher priced. Right. So they'd go downtown and buy them and then want you to put them in. Or they could do that legally themselves. Could you? Yeah. I But I could put them in, I found out, and say customer furnished part. Okay. But they had to, they, it, they had to prove to me it was customer furnished part. And that took business away from me. Yeah. They, they went and bought it cheaper. Yeah. Well, so, you, his his grandfather. But it wasn't legal to just put in the airplane uh, because it didn't come from an aviation firm. So so it would be illegal if you bought the part if, but, if and, mar- bought and marked it, it up to right. the aviation cost yeah. and everything. But and, if the customer brought it, and I say customer furnished, and I I qualified it airworthy, then. But see, the thing is, when I sign my name, I'm the one that goes to jail. Not the customer. If something were to go yeah. wrong with the aircraft they, and somebody were to get hurt or that's whatever. Right. Um, so uh, what what did your grandpa do again? He was the general manager at Cessna. Which was just down the street from Wells, right? Oh, from Hydraulics? Mm-hmm. Okay. Who was that? Morin Alderson. Oh, I didn't know him. Oh, it would have been probably the 80s when he was the GM out there. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so Sparks Aviation kind of comes to an end, um, yeah. and then you go back to Wells, right? Did back, you go back, back as a mechanic? I or? went back as chief inspector. Okay. And what does a chief inspector do? He overseen the company. He was a certified repair station by the FAA, uh, to meet certain requirements. And, uh, and then I signed the airplane off as chief inspector. I signed it off as certified repair station, not my name. It protected the, the, it protected the, the the company was liable for the lawsuit, not the individual. Yeah, that that's what a certified repair station is. But you have to meet FAA requirements. Got it. 
to be a certified repair station, and I had to make sure that we kept our standards and get the airplanes signed off and make sure their air directories were all done and the airplane was airworthy and make sure I'd had to inspect them, uh, let the mechanics look at them, and I'd have to go inspect them and so forth. So, so it, it was almost uh, kind of like a double sign-off. I had, way, yes. Mechanic didn't sign it, but the, I, and see, the advanced rating on a, you get the airframe and power plant rating both. After three years, you can apply for the inspection authorization. When you went for the inspection authorization rating, you had to have uh, three years experience and you studied regulations. That was your main thing. So you had to be an authorized inspector, have an inspection authorization certificate to sign the annual inspection off. But an air, a certified aircraft mechanic, airframe, or power plant could sign off prospective inspections as a 100-hour. Okay. But for the annual inspection, you had to be be uh, inspection authorization. And I had that rating. So that was my, that's the upper but, rating of the mechanic. And that's where you kind of finished, you know, your, your career right, there and yeah. retired. Yeah. So then I retired in 2000. And then, and then you got to put your feet on the desk, look out the window and drink the coffee, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wanted to sit on the porch and wave everybody to go into work, <laughs> but I didn't get up in time enough to do that. <laughs> well, I remember that. <laughs> I remember you telling stories of how you felt you were busier after retirement. Well, than, it, yes. Because of you. <laughs> well, some, some of it was because of me. Yeah. 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 Well, that was in 2000. And, oh, I retired at 63 and a half. Because of Doris's illness. And I was having to take off to work, take her to the doctor, and then go make up my time. I paid salary, not by hour. Mm. And uh, so I'd go make up the time to keep up my work or take it home. But then I got, and I got to, I made a big mistake one time on the hours of an airplane. The customer had to spend more money to work, get special work down the airplane that wasn't justified. And I thought, well, that mistake, I better get out of it. So I, at that time, I retired. I could keep Kroger's insurance. I was working for Kroger's. Dylan just sold out to Kroger's then. Yeah, and Kroger bought Wells Aircraft. Yeah. And then they had their, their aircraft there in Hutch and no, Wells Aircraft, didn't they? No, they sold Wells. They sold, they kept the name Dylan's here. Okay. And uh, then they, they have, Kroger has their own airplane in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, okay. So we didn't get to maintain their airplanes. And then they, why did they buy Wells? What was the point in that? They Well, Wells was uh, owned by Dillon's. They bought Dillon's. Oh, okay. So did so Dillon, they, Dillon's have their aircraft there? Then? Yes. Oh, okay. But, okay, okay. But they sold Dillon's airplanes. Got it. And just kept theirs. So uh, Skycraft, uh, or Wells Aircraft, I ended up working for them. Then when I retired, eventually, why Don Rogers bought them out. So now they're a serious dealer out here at Wells Aircraft, but they kept the name. Got it. But they, the Dillon bought Rollin Wells out in, uh, let's see, it was, uh, November, uh, see, it was, well, Dillon in 65, I think they bought Rollin Wells out, who had a business on the south end of the field. So they just kept the name Wells Aircraft. Oh, okay. 
And then, then Wells bought Skycraft in November of '68, I think it was. What What was the name of the of the gentleman that was in the radio room with the big beard and stuff? That was George Klobes. That guy always fascinated me. Yes, because he was he seemed so incredibly intelligent. He was. And when you would look at his office, like his, his that the radio room was probably as long as these two rooms together. And for you that are listening, it's probably I would give that what. Probably 30 feet, uh, 30, ish, 30, 30 feet, 30 to 20. And he would like have that. what looked like miles of cable yeah. for all these radios and instruments and stuff. And this guy was just like working through it, like no problem. Like he knew what every wire to everything yeah. went to. And every time I went in there, he always had just miles of cable laying on the, yeah. he was working on something. He always, when he stole air, uh, radios and airplanes, he'd have wires hanging all over, had tape on them, knew where to, know where to put them. All the time. It was, I, I, every time I walked by that radio room, I was just like, holy I mean, he, cow. He was very, very intelligent. Yeah. He, he definitely looked it. I mean, he, he had, a, like, he had an old beard, man, big beard, beard and glasses and, yeah. you know, this kind of the squarish glasses. His cigarette and, hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, you know, I actually, you know, another thing I was telling, uh, I was telling this story last night too was, um, the popcorn in the break room there. Like I always enjoyed making the popcorn yeah. and putting the extra salty buttery stuff on it, which you hated because I always put too much and then messed it up. And oh, you're yeah. like, other pilots are going to come in here and they're not going to want to eat that. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But, um, it was also a random, random thought, fond memory there. But it was a, it was, it was cool because I mean, I got to see all kinds of different aircraft. I mean, well, you, you did. You, name you got it. a good experience out there. Um, I still, still King Air is still my favorite. Like, yeah. The, of of a turboprop type yeah. aircraft, uh, J three Cub obviously is going to probably be my favorite when it comes to that for for obvious reasons. Yep. Um, and then, uh, but you know, like the Caravan was always an interesting aircraft to me because it was yes, huge, it was, but great for short field takeoff yes. and landings. And it was yeah. it was actually technically a pro- yeah, a turboprop, yeah, versus just a regular it, radial it was, it or made piston for cargo. Yeah, uh, was always fascinating <clears throat> to me. But speaking of the, of the J three Cub, um. One of the, one of my favorite pictures that I'll, I'll put on Instagram, uh, along with this podcast is this picture of my grandfather and I in a J3 cub. And he's trying to snap at me to get my attention (laughs) to like look at the camera. But instead I started mimicking him and snapping the pictures. (laughs) Have you seen this, Francis? Have you seen that? Yeah. And so, like, I, I am, like, mimicking him mm-hmm. instead of snapping. And then, uh, who, I don't know who took it. Was Grandma took the picture? Or? Well, she must have, yeah. Yeah. And because, then. Yeah. Yeah. That was taken. Yeah. That was I, used, I used to fit in his lap. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can't even fit in the airplane now. That, that's true. Um, so but it's because he lifts weights. So then um, when we went out to the. Just Max, east, Max, east Max, of town. Max Leiby's place. Yeah. Uh, we kind of recreated the photo. Um, obviously I couldn't sit in his lap. Or in the, or <laughs> in the airplane. Or in the airplane. <laughs> Tried to recreate. There you go, Francis. Yeah. But we kind of recreated the photo a little bit and I'll, I'll share those as on the Instagram. This is all well. very interesting to me because I was never around airplanes at all yeah. growing up. I, I, it, it's, it, looking back, I, I am truly blessed. Like, I mean, granted, it wasn't like we flew all over the nation and like, you know, we were like skiing Vail every weekend or something, but just, uh, I spent plenty of time in aircraft that, you know, normally. I didn't get to take you for your first airplane ride either. I don't remember my first, well, my very you, first you time. Well, you flew over Lions to look at the, uh, 
Somebody took you over lines. Look at the lights dad, at night. Dad did with somebody that was out there. Well, but somebody, I, somebody took you and your dad over there. Yeah. Then I got uh, Dale Judd that let me fly his arrow. Took you and Alvin for plane ride. Okay. That time. Um, you know, I remember one with a female instructor. I remember Karen that. Anderson. Yeah, I remember uh, going to Wichita with her. I paid her to take you and Alvin to Wichita. And then Dean Wedman, flying with him several yeah, times I on a, on a test flight. That. Yeah, on a I test did, flight. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one time getting very sick afterwards, too. Oh, did you? Uh, for some reason, he was testing the stall indicator. Oh, okay. So we stalled a lot. Okay. Which means we were up and down yeah, and up yeah, and down. Yeah. And I, I got a migraine and was just, oh. I was sick as a dog afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely okay. sick as a dog. Um, but, um, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a really great experience. And then, um, you know, fast forward to, uh, to, I guess a little closer to today. And, you know, Andrea was pregnant with Alex and then grandma, grandma passed on. Yeah. And, now yep. you now you're spending your time kind of doing uh, what you want to do, you know. Yep. If, if you want to take a spontaneous trip to see Butch in in Nebraska, you can or D well, or I, whatever. It's yeah. You know, I also back though when Doris was ill, her sister would come down and stay with her. And in 2006, I got took a bus tour to the down to uh, uh, Arizona or uh, New Mexico. For the hot air balloon fiesta at uh, Albuquerque, I got that going that bus tour down there. That was a glorious deal too. I have pictures of that. Didn't you miss a bus or something there too? No. Maybe that was a different story. No. But I, no, I remember that. That was a, that worked out all great. I loved it. I went by myself, paid a double occupancy. seats. I had both seats. Nobody <laughs> sat beside me. <laughs> That's and, the way to do it, right and there. Then we came back on the Saturday, I think it was. So, well, we came back, and I was going to have my, uh, at that time I had a Bible study class that I was a leader of. So I was studying my Bible study on the way back because I had that double seat, and I had had room to put the book down. I studied all that stuff so I could be ready for my lesson the next night <laughs> at church. Yeah, so, well, and, and my first times going to church, I remember, were with you guys. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, at that time, it was Forest Park Presbyterian Church. Yes. Now, what do you guys call it now? New Covenant. New Covenant, yeah. that's right. And, and you know, you've been going there for as long as I can remember. Well, we started there in 85. When I was born in 86, so and, as long and, as I can remember. But here's the thing about Pastor Clark and Nick got along good. <laughs> Nick would go there. I don't know, his age group was up six, seven, and eight or something like 90. He left in 95, so during that early 90s, uh, <laughs> back or back in the 1900s, as Elijah would say. Back in 1900s. Back yeah. in the 1900s. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so then uh, Nick. Uh, one afternoon, we we had him for the weekend, and we're eating, and Doris made a comment about Noah, and Alan, uh, Nick said, "Well, who is Noah?" Well, he was the oldest man in the Bible, and she explained who Noah. Meth- or, Methuselah. No, Methuselah was. There you go. So then uh, Nick. Now, Pastor Clark told us this. But uh, Nick always went out and shook hands and talked to Pastor Clark and went to church. So then Nick went out and he said, Pastor Clark said, do you know that oldest man in the Bible? This way Pastor Clark told it. And uh, Rich says, well, who? I don't know what was his name. I don't know, but my grandma and grandpa know him. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, and I, when you got baptized, or, uh, yeah, over there at Sterling, I told the minister that that day. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that was another reason I wanted you to be at the baptism, you know, cause I mean, essentially you and grandma are yeah. the ones, I mean, I, my parents never really, you know, had a church home and went mm-hmm. to church. I found places to land here and there. Um, but, you know, the, the constant was with you and grandma. Yeah. And, and another funny story when I told him before, before we recorded the podcast, I was telling my grandpa, I'm like, just do what you do at church and talk a lot. That's what you need to do on the podcast. And he thought that was funny. But <laughs> when I was a kid, I did not think that was funny. Because when church was over, I grandpa, didn't want I didn't want to stand around for two hours yeah. while Grandpa talked to everyone. I'm like, can we go, please? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hungry. And way, now I do the same thing. Like the way I, kids are. I have to stop myself. Like I find myself, you know, pulling an Al Sowers, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I have to be like mindful of your time. I'm, I'll let you go. Catch you later. <laughs> like well, I do that same thing. Your dad went through the same thing. We went to. I used to go to air shows a lot. Went to an air show in Salina, and they had this uh, uh, C-5A, big big cargo airplane Air Force had, and they, they'd lower it down uh, hydraulically over the landing gear. And then when they, before takeoff and taxi, they'd raise it back up. And I stayed at that air show till that thing left. It was about the last airplane to leave, and everybody else wanted to go, but I wouldn't leave till I seen that airplane raise up and taxi away. Well, your dad was—I don't know what he had to say about that—but he was ready to get out of there. <laughs> I wasn't. Well, that explains why I spent so much time at air shows as well. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, you know, seeing the Blue Angels and all that other yeah. kind of stuff was just amazing. Um, have you ever been to Smoky Hill Bombing Range, Nate? Okay, next time Smoky Hill happens, you'll have to go with us because, like, literally, they drop bombs and shoot mm-hmm. guns, and it's amazing. They—they they come so in low, fun. make their bomb passes, and all that. It's—it's it's so cool to watch. And then A tens come in. Yep. You know, there you hear that noise way back here, and then as they fly over, then psh, you see all this. Well, it's interesting because first you see the smoke. Yeah. Then you hear the report from the gun. Then you hear the report from the bullets. Then you hear the bullets hitting the ground. Yeah. And it's just an interesting experience. Like everybody goes there for the A tens. Like I've that's seen the whole them reason. like uh, Akinopolis, like flying over Akinopolis yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I've never been to the bombing range though. So. Yeah. Um, probably one of my most fond. Like that, I'll never forget memories of Smoky Hill was when the B one bombers were flying yes. over. They they came down low, which was interesting because that's not their mo. Like they're they're way up there dropping the bomb. You never know they're there, mm-hmm. and so they came in low at full afterburner, and like it literally shook the ground under you. Like it it felt like an earthquake. Like you were standing in an earthquake. Well, they give you they hand out ear protection because it's obviously loud. Yeah, I remember going. And like taking them out because I want, I was like, I want the full experience of this. And it was so amazing and it was so loud. Been here for a week. And like that. a little painful, but totally worth it. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, and then like they'll have like a B 52 bomber, the huge, mm-hmm. like huge bomber. And they're like, yep, they're up there. And you're like, like looking up, like where? Like you can't see them. And they're like, Hey, they dropped the bombs. And you're like looking out there. Yeah. And it's like minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes later. And then boom, 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 they'll hit on the ground. And I'm just like, you can't even see. Like they're like, yeah, they're right there. See them pointing at them and stuff. And you're like, yeah. What? I see blue sky. What? Like what? Only the radar can see him. Yeah. Um. So next time we go, you'll have to go with us. It's pretty pretty awesome. I would. I'd like to do that. I've never even been to the air shows at Lions or they do it 
McConnell or any of those. Yeah. I mean, air shows were a lot more prevalent when I was a kid than they are now. Yeah. yeah. Hutch used to have them all the time. I mean, I remember going to McConnell to several. Um, As a matter of fact, um, one of dad's friends from high school was a pilot of an A-10. Yeah. So we got to sit under an A-10 and I just like picked that guy's brain like all day long. Name was Borgen. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I worked on his dad's airplane over in Lyons. Yeah. Hmm. Small world, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just sitting under an A-10, like, again, not understanding the gravity of the situation. Um, another thing I didn't understand the gravity of the situation was, um, you say you don't remember this, but I very much do. When they were hangering the SR-71 out at Wells Aircraft before they moved it to the Cosmosphere, he took me out to see it. Like, he took me to that hangar to see it. And I'd sat in the cockpit of tons and tons and tons and tons of aircraft at mm-hmm. this point. So, um, I got to sit in the cockpit of an SR-71 and I remember him showing it to me and sitting in there and I'm just like, okay, cool. Cockpit of an aircraft. Like seen this before, you just know, another one. And now realizing like, holy crap. Like I, I, I got to do that. That was amazing. I don't remember that either. Cause that was the last flight of those SR-71s, wasn't it? Uh, did they, well, did it fly into Hutch? No, but it, no they, they hold it in. Okay. And they put it in the, uh, then put it in our hangar there, mm-hmm. and, and then put the which wing, it took up the whole hangar. What? Yeah, they had to well, empty the hangar. Well, it took uh, they took the wing off and kept and put it on the south side of the hangar, and then they uh, had to put the wing down in the other hangar. But it, I mean, it took up. I mean, they're having to like empty space for that to go in there. And then for three years it was there, and I'm there working all the time seeing it. But you couldn't climb up on top of it all the time. Mm-hmm. So then uh, they came the day they came down and towed it away. They took it down the streets and and they put it on pedestals and then built around it. I kept going down every Sunday taking pictures. Yeah, they hauled it in. Yeah, that'll be quite the process to see. But they couldn't have it unless it was housed. Yeah, the, leave it outside. Yeah, and the, and also the Cosmosphere made them say like, "Hey, you're not going to reactivate this. It's ours. We're building yeah. a building around it. It's ours. Yeah. Like you're never gonna, you're never getting it back." I got pictures of that. Yeah. I took pictures. That they're downstairs though. <laughs> <laughs> so That's was that building? Box. Was that building there before? Yes, but it was much a, smaller. Okay, much smaller. That, that particular addition was not on there. Okay, at yeah. the time, the Cosmosphere was an entity, was a thing. Um, cause we spent, man, yeah, goodness gracious, we spent. They well, just added on, put the SR-71 in. One of, one of the many things that Grandpa and I did together, other than like fishing and stuff, we spent a lot of time at the Cosmosphere. A lot of time. And yeah. I, I, I loved every freaking minute of it and still do. It's, it's, uh, it's, I don't support it anymore. I support other stuff, but, uh. Well, I remember like even ham radio operators were there and that's what got me interested in ham radio. And, yeah, you got a lot more out of it than I did. Um, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I did when you took me to the gift shop every single yeah. time I <laughs> asked to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another super random memory. Um, uh, cause I know we're probably getting ready to wrap up, but dad took me to the cosmosphere one time. I don't remember if we watched a movie or what it was we were doing while well, we went into the gift shop and they had space ice cream. Which okay. I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I mean, it's it's freeze dried ice cream. It's literally like um like a powdery kind of. It's it's a block, mm-hmm. you know. 
And uh, so if if you don't know my dad, and, and also forgive me, dad, if, if you don't like this, but my dad, when he sneezes, he sneezes a lot and he sneezes like multiple times in a row. Like yeah. he has he has really bad allergies and always has. Well, anyway, and he's got it more under control again with like more more modern medicine. But back then, like him sneezing like eight to ten times in a row, multiple times was like no big deal to me. Well, when you take strawberry freeze-dried ice cream and you eat it, and then you sneeze, and as you're making that downward motion, <laughs> and he sneezed it all over his shirt. <laughs> pink, pink, freeze-dried ice cream. He was so angry. So angry. Because yeah, we, were, we, weren't, we weren't done with the day. We were going to go do other things, and he had to wear this shirt that had... <laughs> The ice cream that he sneezed all over it. <laughs> but I, I would like to, if you're about done here, I'd like to share something, though. After Doris passed away, I had two prayers. One of them is that I'd like to have a lady to visit with. I wanted to get married, but just a lady to visit with about their daily activities. And the other was I'd like to play my guitar and sing in church. Christian songs. Both of them came true. The guitar came first, and then Bible study and the church brought Francis and I together. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And I've sang in church probably six, seven, eight times, and they want me back. They keep inviting me to sing again. Well, Philippians 4, 6, be in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. Amen. Yeah. So uh, that's that's just what's happening now. Yeah. And we've become very good friends. Yeah, so much so she sat through listening to us for an hour and 35 minutes. You believe oh, that? Really? Yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that, uh, I mean, I've learned things. I'm interested in seeing what dad, what dad says when dad's like, whoa, I didn't know that. Well, there's a lot more. Well, okay. We got four and a half hours. Let's do this. No. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. We do it another time. Yeah. Well, that's just the thing that is cool about this is, you know, like later on, if you think of more things or well, want to I, do it again I or come whatever. Up with subjects put on paper then. So, no, you won't. Why not? You didn't do the MP3 player. I mean, there's only four or five. <laughs> <laughs> I'd write them down there. <laughs> Francis, you got anything to add? No. Are you sure? Put you on the spot. <laughs> you could pull, we could, we could turn the mic on and you pull it right in front of you. You'd be good to go. Okay. Well, Grandpa, thanks for being here. Well, I'm happy to be here, and, uh, and uh, it's quite different to just sit here and try to think back all of a sudden of everything. But uh, you I did think, a good job. Yeah, I think my one of my great memories is like uh, my dad was always good. He took care of us. He made sure we had a place to. As the song goes, I've got a, a roof over my head, a good place to sleep, food on the table, shoes on my feet. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings on me. And I think that song, I've sang that song in church twice. And I'm going to put it on Facebook one of these days. It's a great song. It says it all. And it's uh, it's, it's just a blessing to know that God's in my life. And i got Christ in my heart. And I think the greatest thing going is to be in His bubble, not the outside world. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Very good. We Very appreciate good. you sharing your story. It's been fun Thank sitting you. here listening to uh, all your experiences, and it's just it's just amazing to me. Just thinking back on the conversation, you know, back to the beginning, 
you know, you say your your dad was a baker, right? Yeah. And like he did all this work on your house, like I had a yeah. a restroom and a kitchen and yeah. plumbing and all this and that. It's just like a lot of people nowadays, like they can't do that. I was can't thinking, you know, I was yeah. thinking the exact same thing. It's just like back in that time, like you did it all. Yeah. And and nowadays, it's just like people are so specialized and so busy, and they like they don't make time to do that kind of thing. Well, the other thing was that uh, the house didn't have a basement. My dad made an elevator, an escalating elevator. He put an auto, uh, put an electric motor on it, automatic, an auto transmission for speed the, the gears, and and where you could put it down. We put it down under the house through this little access hole, and he went down there and dug dirt. And threw it on that uh, in a pile, and then threw it on this elevator, and run it up out on on the trailer, it, uh, hooked to the car, hauled it out to the backyard, and dumped it out there. We dug that basement out down under that house, and then uh, step grandpa, my dad's second marriage, he was a uh, uh, masonry guy, so he came over and helped lay the brick foundation under the house. And uh, put it on the foundation, made a basement out of it, and that was all good engineering. My <laughs> dad was a smart. We dug, put in the sewer. We dug that hole six foot deep, all the way from the house to the alley, which is a, probably a hundred sixty foot lot. <laughs> Over, it, it took took a whole year to dig that big trench out, put the sewer down there. And people but it was just worth take- it. People it was well worth it. Huh? I well, said it was well yeah. worth it. Yeah, you end. didn't have to escort your mom outside and protect her with the flashlight. No, after once that. you got to the bathroom, no. That's what I'm saying, after that. But then we didn't have a shower in the house. We kids were showering in high school. My dad was showering at the basement. And what my mom and the girls did, I don't know. But we used to build a galvanized tub years back. You had to heat the water on the stove, put it mm-hmm. in the tub. I'm in there and argued over who got to be in there first. Is that the warm water? I always always heard that it went in in order of age. The older you were, you got in first. I never got to be in there first, I tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) We did that in my family. My dad was the last one to get a bath, but it was the same water. Huh. Again, just things like that's the perspective that I wanted in this is everybody takes it for granted that you just buy a house and it's got plumbing, it's got a toilet, it's got a shower, it's got... You know, it didn't always used to be that way. And if you wanted it, you had to work hard for it. You didn't have hot water. You had to put in your <clears> hot water tank. And then uh, you had to do that plumbing. Then you had to rewire the house. And now it's like. here and there. It's like you buy a house and like, oh, I want to change the color of this flooring oh. and paint this wall yeah. and change this trim. <laughs> you yeah. know, for the most part, that's what it is. Unless yeah. you're a guy like me and you buy fixer-uppers. but <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of guys do now. Yeah. Al, is that the house that you showed? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people in that itty bitty house. Yeah. That was yeah. that was the other thing too is you had you yeah. had what six well, there kids? Was, there was uh Kenny. Uh D was only just a baby yet when Kenny left. Well he, it was it was Kenny she, Kenny Butch, Johnny, Sharon. Yeah, Kenny Kenny Butch, me, uh Sharon, John and D. So six kids, six two kids. parents, so eight people living in a four-bedroom four house. Bedroom, okay. Two two-bedroom house. Oh, two-bedroom. I think you said you we said We had four. a roll-away bed. 
we used also. Well, and earlier you said a four-bedroom house. Well, well I'm four, sorry. Four rooms? Wrong. Four rooms. Ah, but two bedrooms. Yeah, he had a kitchen and, and dining room. Ah. He had a living room and two bedrooms and a and the bath in so, the middle. So basically, mom and dad had a room and then the kids had a room. Yeah. Got it. We had, had a closet. Bunk, we had bunk closets, beds? Or? Had closets between the rooms, and then my dad changed that and made the bathroom out of it. Did Did you guys have bunk beds or? Huh. No, we didn't have bunks. We uh, three of us boys slept in one bed, and then uh, we ended up on the roadway eventually. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot. I, the one thing I remember though, we my parents smoked. And then you didn't have filtered cigarettes, so they'd leave. We'd take the cigarette butts out and roll them in toilet paper and light them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, one time, Dad and uh, Took uh, took took the kids. Well, it would have been Sharon, and went over to visit the neighbors about a block away. So Butch and I rolled up, got cigarette butts, rolled up our cigarettes, was smoking them in the house, and the parents came back home when you didn't lock doors then, and they walked in and we we opened this. We had a a coal burning stove. We didn't have a furnace then. Opened that stove and threw them cigarettes in when the parents came in. My dad says, "You've been smoking, haven't you?" Well, <laughs> prove it. <laughs> he he went down and bought some White Owl cigars. He smoked cigars once in a while. I had White Owl cigars, strong ones. Said, you got us all three in the room. Kenny was there at this time. I think he was. And said, if you want to smoke, here you go. He gave us all this cigar. <laughs> I was too young to puff on it. I had to suck on it. I had to take that. Smoked down at the same time, so I couldn't puff, and then, oh. and then, oh no! And we lit them cigars up, and got so sick, scared to go out at night. I went right outside in the yard and just got sick. I didn't care. I don't need no flashlight. I don't need no flashlight. I just went out and got sick. <laughs> I Sounds forgot like, uh, that. My my dad and uncle, when my grandma caught them chewing when they were young, she said, "Okay, well if you're gonna chew, you gotta gut it. You gotta swallow." Oh, spit. okay. <laughs> my dad did, and he still chews to this day. But my uncle, he that was the last day he ever chewed. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. that, you, you swallow it. Yeah, that's different. Well, T- today's day and age, if you handed a bunch of cigars to some kids and said, "All right, you want to smoke? Get a smoke." People showing up to take your kids away from you. Yeah, <laughs> but it sounded like a good lesson. Well, it was, and, and I remember uh, you smoking a pipe. Well, yeah, I did that in my later years. Yeah, I quit the cigarettes when they got to dollar and a quarter a pack. I quit. They're like almost seven bucks a pack now. Yeah. <laughs> but I still smoke a pipe. I enjoy smoking a pipe. I like but, that. But uh, I uh, that I just think the, the pipe was a lot easier, but I still inhaled it. But it went out so often you didn't really keep smoking it that much. I've dreamt that I still smoke once in a while. Yeah. You might find a little piece of tobacco or a pipe laying around the basement somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just want the old penguin vacuum cleaner. That's what I want. That little tabletop vacuum cleaner. Do I still have that? I don't know. It might might have it. I I played with it a lot. I know well, that. I, know, I, know I got in should... trouble for playing with it a well, lot. Well, if I didn't give it to you, it should be there somewhere. But uh, One of these days. One of these days. But my goal now, I've really focused in, and this lady has helped me focus to get it done. Is to start grabbing clothes out of the closet that you and Alvin can't wear and take them to Salvation Army. And uh, 
then also start getting rid of the crap that used to be important. Hey, I love you. Has he told you I went over there twice helping him with the kitchen? He came in and dried the dishes and I washed them. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Well, it worked. <laughs> hey, you know what? You keep kicking, kicking him in the butt. Keep keep up the good work. I like well, that. I try to do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Make it seem like it's his idea. Yeah, exactly. finesse me. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I never say, "Well, you need to do this." No, well, you know, if you just did one thing at a time, one thing a day, it would become a habit. And then give him like a week or two to stew on that, and then eventually maybe it'll come around. And well, yeah, it's up to him. <laughs> yep. Well, I have to get in the shower for work and stuff here pretty soon, so we're going to wrap it up. Okay. It sound good. I have to work at eleven tonight. Eleven to seven. So well, I'm happy this happened finally. Well, thanks for being here. Appreciate there's, it. There's more to come. Yeah. Yep. Well, take then, it away, sir. Then, if you want to do it again, why I go back to the memory part of it. <laughs> well, you have to you have to go do your research, like we were talking about. You have to get your books out and start your reading. Notes. And... Yeah, sounds like a good idea. I don't know if we're prepared. He brings notes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, guys, thanks for listening to the Higher Points. Thank you for coming on tonight. It's been uh, been a pleasure to have you on and listening to your experiences and expertise on everything, and just hear your stories. So, um, thanks for listening to the Higher Points, guys, and um, we appreciate you uh, listening. And we'd appreciate likes on our social media page and go like us at the Higher Points and follow us on Facebook. Check out the website, and also we are uh, renting out the podcast space. If anybody would happen to uh, want to start a podcast, we can help you with that. So reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or just on the website. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Thanks.